friends, this is WPPMLP, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 106.5, and you're listening to the Talking Machine Hour. I'm David Atlas, and here with me tonight, fellow 78 RPM record collector and enthusiast, Don Wilson, has uh, graced us with a big pile of old shellac and rubber discs from the turn, actually before the turn of the century. Uh, We're talking the 1880s and 90s, I believe, some of the earliest disc records to exist, and um, Don can tell you a little bit more about that. Don, thanks for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me, David, and thank you everybody for listening. I'm really excited to be able to share my collection with you. Uh, I've been share- I've been collecting uh, rare discs for several years, and one of the most prized of early rare discs are the E. Berler uh, Berliner gramophone discs. Uh, Berliner started making discs in the late 1880s, but they really didn't go into production until the mid-1890s, and those are the discs uh, that I'm really excited to get to share with you tonight. Very cool. Um, so which was what, what did we just hear uh, at the opening of the set? We just heard Estudiatina Waltzes played by the band Rosa. I wanted to play that one to open with uh, because my focus has always been dance music, and <laughs> from the era of the Civil War... Uh, all the way up until the dawn of recorded music, people basically had two choices to make when they were selecting their dance music. You could either have a waltz or you could have a polka. The waltzes were the slow ones, the polkas were the fast ones, and that was that for two generations. Wow. And that was that when they were cutting these records, I guess, right? Absolutely. Okay. So we heard a waltz. I'm guessing we're going to a polka next, or? Yes. We're gonna... Okay. All right. Cool. We have the Spaghetti Polka to play next, uh, also from the same date range of about uh, 1898. And where were these records produced? So it's funny that you should ask that we are sitting in the heart of where recorded music uh, on disc recordings came from. It ranged from Washington, D.C., right here in Philadelphia, just a few blocks away, was one of the first recording studios, and also in New York. Uh, Most of the materials that the discs were made of uh, came from just outside of New York, and uh, it's not a surprise that Victor in Camden uh, originally came from just a few blocks from here as well. So Philadelphia is really one of the hearts of recorded music. Excellent and very appropriate with tonight's theme. Um, just want to remind our listeners, we're currently in the middle of the WPPM Fun Drive. Yes, we're asking you to help support this station. It's non-commercial radio in Philadelphia, probably the only place on the FM dial where you're going to hear this kind of music uh, from the 1890s, especially local music of this era. Um, WPPM is non-commercial and community-minded, which means we depend on your support to continue. You can support us by going to WPPMFM.org or PhillyCam.org slash radio and hit the Donate Now button. And we're going to go to the Spaghetti Polka. (音楽) ¶¶ 
spaghetti polka on a berliner disc so don when did you start collecting uh older records or let's just start with 78s i guess i don't know if you started with these 78s was a little more recent about um geez i guess it was in the year 2000 my mom was nice enough to buy me a uh, really early edison cylinder machine and i thought it was fantastic that people could actually recreate sound without electricity it still is fantastic, actually. I mean, people are still amazed by this sort of technology. The first time listening to it, people always have the reaction of, oh my God, but it's not plugged into anything. Yeah. And it wasn't, and they weren't even plugged into anything when they made these records or recorded them, I should say, either. Exactly. Is... Even when recording them, these records that we're listening to tonight were probably recorded about 30 years before the invention of the microphone. Wow. That's pretty stellar and pretty neat for, for local history. Um, as well. And I think you were telling me earlier that these, some of these early ones weren't even made of shellac, which was the predecessor of vinyl, by the way, for those listeners out there who don't know. They were uh, horsehair and rubber. Yeah, it was a special type of vulcanized rubber. It was a really hard rubber, a little bit harder than a car tire. And it came from just outside of New York in uh, North Jersey from a company called Duranoid, D-U-R-A-N-O-I-D, which was, uh, not only did they make the first disc records, but also when disc records started being manufactured in Europe, they sent shiploads of the materials for them to be manufactured there as well. Wow. Even more local history that I had no concept of. Some more local history is that when they started making these records, uh, dance music was an obvious choice. But they had no idea what to actually record, so people just seemingly, at random, picked some really unusual things to record. Uh, Like this really early 1897 Berliner of Morning on the Farm. Uh, This was recorded in Washington, D.C., but who ever would have thought of why we should record uh, what the morning on a farm would sound like? A lot of people really enjoyed it, I guess. Apparently. Maybe for all those people in urban settings who weren't spending mornings on the farm. That must be it, because it made a few comebacks. (laughs) 
So that was a track called Morning on the Farm, and those were uh, human beings making those sounds, if you can believe it, back in the 1890s. You might notice these records are a little bit shorter than the standard 78s that we're normally playing on the Talking Machine Hour. Those are 10-inch 78 RPM records, and those were the standard for the the arc of 78 RPM production. Um, But in these early years, they were producing these discs at 7 inches, which is the size of a 45 RPM record today. So they're a little bit shorter um, and more concise. And um, you'll notice they sound a little bit different as well. We're playing them on a modern electric turntable that has a variable speed adjustment. That's because uh, I don't think speed was very well standardized back then. No, not at all. The 78 RPM standard really didn't seem to uh, come about until sometime around 1902. Uh, The standards were really loose. Uh, Berliner was really the only person who was making discs at that point. So even going from studio to studio, it seemed to be at the whim of the recording engineer of any particular day. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think the machines back then, they were so crude that trying to get one to a particular speed from day to day was next to impossible anyway. So, you know, you just kind of listen to it at the speed that you liked. And if you liked faster music, you just bet, <laughs> set the speed a little faster. I like that. I do the same thing, actually. Sometimes not intentionally, though. Speaking of faster music, we have um, a piece by Sousa. Sousa was one of the most popular entertainers of the late 1800s and early 1900s. He was considered the king of the march. As exciting as marching band music sounds, uh, it was absolutely everywhere for decades and decades, probably up through World War II. This is one of the early recordings. By the way, Sousa himself never actually recorded. Uh, He thought the whole idea of recording music was awful, but he liked to make a buck. So he has plenty of recordings that say Sousa's band just so he could make some money. I never realized that it was actually not him on those records. Nope, very few. Good to know I haven't been ripped off by purchasing (laughs) them. But uh, yeah, you know, I was going to say you can't really dance to a march, but then I had a flashback to that scene in Grey Gardens. Um, and I guess you could. Well, I guess technically you could dance to anything. Yeah. But people held Sousa in pretty high regard because he was one of the first to really read a crowd. And if a crowd didn't like a song, he would change it. And that's really why he didn't like recorded music was because the leader had no input on it. Okay. 
So this one is actually credited to to his band? This is Sousa's band, uh, about 1897. Uh, This was a really popular one, My Old Kentucky Home, and this was re-released several times with uh, different catalog numbers. says band there uh with what was that title Don? my old kentucky home yes of course how could i forget possibly that big old hit of the 1890s and i think it was still being recorded over and over again in the teens and 20s as well some songs don't go away regardless of how hard we might try well one song that being a collector yourself that i hope that you'll recognize was one of the most popular songs Uh, I saved it until we were nice and warmed up. I've been dying to play this one. It's The Laughing Song by George W. Johnson. This song is really amazing um, in part because it was, I think it was the most popular song of the 1890s, uh, the first recording of an African-American. And it's just a really interesting song of, uh, I interpret it as a song of tolerance and one of the reasons why George W. Johnson was so popular was that he was able to laugh in key. And it's a really great belly laugh that he does in key. And I think that spawned him a career of doing this song that ended up being so popular it was recorded by virtually every popular artist of the era. The Laughing Song by George W. Coming around the corner, I heard some people sad. Here comes the dad, and I'll be here, and come this way. Did I hear 
even in light and snowflower, and his mouth is like a trap. And when he opens it, then they know as the people gather to that land. <laughs> I just got the from Lavi. They said his mother was a prince, and his father was a prince, and he said they apple on the right and nothing to quit. But you'll see the king of that prince speak bye bye. I went down the hill from Lammy. I went down the hill from Lammy. So now, kind friends, listen. So what I'm going to say, I've tried my best to please you with my simple little eyes. So when you think it's funny, or a quiet with a cat. Why, all I'm going to do is just go in there to the lab and I'm laughing. I just got the help of Lavi. I just got the help of Lavi. The Laughing Song. It was a catchy song, catchy enough that it was done everywhere. That's amazing. I never, you know, you never think about laughing in key as as a talent or even a thing that, you know, would be important. So. I don't recommend trying it around your friends. Well, I'll definitely be trying it later tonight, <laughs> probably in the car ride home. But The next disc that we have here is an exceptionally rare one. It was made in 1898, and it's uh, stamped as being in London. Uh, this record is unique in that it's one of the first to ever be made outside of the United States. Uh, Berliner set up shop in London in 1898. All the materials were shipped from Dur- Duranoid in Newark, and um, this was one of the first in that first year that disc records were just being made outside of the United States. Uh, the record is typical of Berliner quality that it's really hard to understand, um, but if you listen to someone trying to laugh in key, I don't think it's a coincidence that it happened to be around the same time as the super popular laughing song. Yep, definitely. I'm not going to 
song there very interesting recorded in 1898 and brought for your listening pleasure by our friend don wilson here who's sharing berliner discs of that era on the talking machine hour with me this evening so next up we have some of the hottest dance songs of the era uh there were some uh that were cooler and some that were warmer than others it does take um a little adjusting towards uh, thinking of what was hot 120 years ago, yep. but um, they don't get any hotter than a hot time in the old town. This one was also made in 1898, one of the most popular of the hot dance hits of that era. Quinn there. I think I've actually heard A Hot Time in the Old Town once or twice before. And you may have heard me fiddling around with the speed trying to get that one right. That is part of the fun of the process with these discs is what speed did they record this one at? I don't know, but as we said earlier, this one sounds good at this speed. Let's just go with that. Yeah, this is definitely the Wild West of uh, early recordings, I'd say. Um, Pretty neat that they've held up this long and, and in pretty decent condition, actually, as well. At 120 years, it's uh, it's amazing they were recording sound at all. Um, it would be nice to be able to show people that uh, the great thing about these discs is that they have uh, a lot of texture to them. Not only is the sound fun, but they have this great dimpled appearance, uh, almost pockmarked like the moon, because Berliner invented this crazy chemical process where he had zinc-coated or, excuse me, um, wax-coated zinc plates, 
And by the time that they were done with them, they never looked quite flat. They have all of these crazy little marks all over them that really identify them as being the early ones. They don't look like they're going to sound good, that's for sure. <laughs> well, one might argue that they don't, but they are a piece of history, so we love oh, them for yeah. what they are. Certainly. It's it's all in the texture. Very cool. And uh, as was as was with uh, as was par for the course, they also had a lot of entertaining titles uh, such as Gayest Manhattan Banjo Solo by Mr. Vess Osman. This was uh, this is one of the hotter ones. It's also one of my favorites. There's uh, something about Vess Osman uh, banjo. It recorded well. You don't hear much piano because well, pianos are hard to record with a tiny little horn, but the banjo did. So Vess Osman did quite a few, and this one especially has a fun end on it. And what year would you say this record came out? Uh, this one was around the same time frame, 1898. I think that I saw it marked in the wax area that this one is uh, marked of uh, October of 1897. That was a good year. Even made a New York. Fitting, considering it uh, references Manhattan. <laughs> Listening to the Talking Machine Hour on WPPMLP Philadelphia 106.5 FM, and it's the middle of our fun drive here at WPPM, where we support local artists, musicians, activists, community members, and leaders, and people like you. Where else are you going to hear the hits of the 1890s played from the original discs of that period live from Center City in Philadelphia, but here on WPPM? So, hey, if you're listening to this program and you're enjoying the strange sounds of yesteryear, this audio odyssey with Don Wilson, um, give us a shout here. It's WPPMFM.org or phillycam.org slash radio. Hit the Donate Now button. Any amount you can throw at us would be awesome. And, hey, I'll even make a mix CD 
uh, for the next person to donate. And you can call it what you want me to put on that CD. Maybe we'll get some early records from Don here to put on there. WPPMFM.org. We just heard Vess Osman recorded in 1898 on an early 7-inch Berliner disc with Gayest Manhattan. Uh, they did call it the Gay 90s. I'm sure it was called that Excellent for a reason. Excellent point. Excellent point. <laughs> The, uh, the next hit that we have is another one of the most famous of the era, Georgia Camp Meeting. Uh, I have no idea how they got Georgia or a camp or a meeting into a banjo duet, uh, but that's the name of the song. Uh, super popular. And this record's rather worn, so the sound isn't great, but there's something to absolutely love about a worn-looking dance record. Just the feeling of holding it, knowing that once upon ye- yesteryear, that how many people must have danced to this? So while listening to the static and the hisses through the music, think how many times that this must have been played and how much fun several generations ago had to this song. Georgia Camp Meeting by Colin and Collins there on an early Berliner disc. Um, Don was just showing me uh, the surfaces of these discs and the labels and how they were embossed, uh, or I want to say embossed and stamped uh, at the time that the wax was mastered. And uh, I believe they had the artists sign in the wax. They did. When the record was made, uh, they didn't, I guess that Berliner was too cheap to put on paper labels that um, they would etch everything directly into the wax. So when it was pressed, that all the information was right there. So one of the benefits of it is after a good recording, the engineer would let the artist know that the recording went well, at which point the uh, the artist himself would come over and would autograph uh, right into the wax. So every recording was autographed. Do you know where they were recording back then? Uh, the three studios that they had were uh, also where they were 
pressing them, which was Washington, D.C., New York, and right here in Philly. Very cool. Yeah, that was a good one. Georgia Camp Meeting. Uh, the next one we have is uh, just a little bit older. This one is uh, from, actually, uh, right around Christmas time, December 24th of 1897. We have the Twin Star March a banjo duet. Uh, it is not... Um, uh, the artist uh, who performed it is not listed, but uh, this w- was another one that was written by Mr. Joe Cullen, also of the previous song we listened to. So, Don, I understand you've been um, making reissues of some of these early 78s. Absolutely. Um, I felt that somebody had to. These discs, the the production numbers of them were so low when they were made. Uh, You know, in some cases, just a few hundred copies. And here, 120 years later, a lot of these discs, there's only uh, less than five known to exist. I thought that somebody had to preserve them. You know, listening to an MP3 is great. Uh, Listening to an MP3 of a scratchy old song is okay, I suppose, but being able to put your hands on one and being able to actually experience it the same way that it was meant to uh, just gives a really complete understanding of what it must have been like in those very early days. And back then, I mean, uh, phonographs weren't very common in the 1890s, I don't think. No, not at all. Uh, so they were just rolling out. The uh, the Nickelodeon was starting to become popular where people would put a, a nickel into a cylinder machine that would have a little tube that was hanging out of it that one would put their ear up to to be able to listen to it. 
Uh, maybe several people could listen at once. But for someone to actually have one in their home must have been like uh, somebody having a computer in the late 70s or early 80s or someone having a um, an arcade uh, game machine or a pinball machine in their home at that same era. Yeah, very cool. And the reissues, I, I, can you play them on antique phonographs or are they vinyl reprints? So they're not quite vinyl. They're not quite as durable as the shellac discs. Uh, it's always a work in process. Yeah. But uh, they do play just as good or as bad as the originals were. Okay. Um, so that's why it really makes a fun experience. It captures uh, mold-making materials now have really gotten fantastic to the point where even at home, uh, somebody can reproduce in perfect detail virtually any surface that they want to, including a record. That's fantastic because I, I had done some reading on this before and I'd wondered why there weren't reissues of some of this stuff aside from, you know, vinyl record pressings. And all of the material that I read probably was way dated about how they would press these records. And originally back in the day with shellac and these massive plants and all this pressure and, and fire and brimstone that... And unfortunately, in order to press shellac, uh, that's still, uh, that is still the case. I have found no way on a small scale to be able to manufacture... Uh, a shellac record. The machinery is just so massive. These enormous roller mills and everything is heated with large steam boilers um, that it's just not practical, which is why I turned to modern chemistry to try to uh, recreate a material with similar properties. Better listening through modern chemistry. (laughs) Going back by going forward. Yeah, right on. So uh, let's hear some more of these old-timey records. Great. We have uh, another one, which is about the same genre as what we just heard. Um, slightly newer, 1899. Uh, if, if you listen, you can hear that the recording quality is getting better by this era. Uh, and this one, not only is it banjo, but it's also supposedly guitar. Hmm. This is the March of Volunteer. Uh, towards the end of 1899 in November uh, by the Venetian Trio. Thank you. 
So the March of Volunteer by the Venetian Trio there from 1899, a little newer sounds on tonight's Talking Machine Hour with special guest Don Wilson and his collection of Berliner discs. So I nearly forgot. So we were uh, we started with some of the very early ones, and no collection of very early discs is complete without Turkey in the Straw. Uh, everybody has heard the song. If if you're listening and you're not a collector and you don't recognize the title. Uh, you'll recognize the song right away. This song has been around forever, and it seems to make a, well, I wouldn't say a comeback, but it seems to show up in a cartoon or a TV show. God, it's even been on 30 Rock a couple times. Sure. Um, This is a really great one since it's so early, uh, 1896. This one was recorded in Washington, D.C., and um, the artist is Billy Golden. Billy Goldman. Golden, all right. Straw by Billy Golden with lyrics, no less. I don't think I'd ever heard the lyrics to that one before. Well, that one not only had lyrics, but it was also fun that, um, I don't know if you caught it in the very beginning, it was announced. Uh, It was, uh, you know, you could hear in the very beginning, Turkey in the Straw by Billy Golden, et cetera, et cetera. Um, The cylinders of the era, uh, they didn't really have a place to print the uh, title information for a song. They would put it on the box and then people would lose the box. And then how do I know what song's on the cylinder? Sure. You would have to play it. Uh, for some reason, although with discs that they had a place to put a nice title, 
um, they uh, still continue to announce them in the very early years. And these were not these aren't Victor discs, but I believe there is a connection to Victor here with the Berliner company. There is. So Berliner had uh, he had the machines and he had the discs, and uh, the machines were really crude. I've, some of the early ones didn't even have a spring. You would have to continually wind them um, to keep the disc playing. So someone in the region who happened to own one uh, knew of a machine shop over in Camden where he took his machine to try to have it fitted with a spring like a clock has. And a uh, the owner of the shop, a man by the name of Eldridge Johnson, uh, looked at it and described it as immediately knowing what the rest of his life was going to look like. Wow. Uh, from there, he formed a partnership with Berliner where to glance over all of the details um, for the sake of brevity, sure. he... Uh, he and Berliner uh, formed an agreement where they started making uh, improved records and improved machines. But for some reason, uh, they decided to part ways under less than amicable terms. And after it landed in court, despite having all the patents, Berliner lost. Five days later, Eldridge Johnson decided to name his company Victor. And there it is today. So there was another company at the same time. It was the Zonophone Company. Zonophone was from New York. They were also involved in the lawsuit. Zonophone was the exclusive distributor uh, of Berliner Records. And after that, Zonophone really went off on their own. And they came out with lots of great recordings, which also had um, just really fantastic sound quality for the era. This one that we have coming up next is called uh, The Indian Dance by Victor Herbert's band. Uh, this one was uh, a song taken from a play of the time, and uh, I just think it's a really fun, fast-paced song. This one's circa roughly 1900. Thank you. 
That's like audio file quality for the 1890s there. Uh, Zonophone disc of the Indian dance by Victor Herbert's band. You know, what was funny about that point is by the time that Zonophone had taken over, it seemed to blow the lid off it. And then all of a sudden you get all these little shops that popped up that started making discs, uh, such as this next one here, uh, a Harvard disc record, which is uh, Dancing in the Kitchen. It's a fun little number, but if you could see the disc, uh, it's... It almost looks like it was ripped off of someone else. Like they just kind of scribbled over the other manufacturer's information and put on their own. Uh, by that time, they have a paper label, which uh, meant that they could cover over all the markings that other people put on. Ah, very clever. So this one's a fun one. Uh, just goes to show you that by around 1901, that people started getting really innovative and um, a little bit of variety started to pop up. This is WPPMLP, that's LPFM, yes, low-powered FMs like WPPM are the results of grassroots efforts by our community towards making media accessible. Unlike other area stations, WPPM welcomes program proposals and submissions from listeners. That means that you, yes, you, the listener, can be a part of WPPM's programming like I once was many years ago sitting and listening to 78 RPMs by myself or forcing my friends, even worse, subjecting my friends to the terrors of old records. And now I get to do it over the airwaves with wonderful guests like Don Wilson here. So we're asking you to reach into your pocket and make a donation to WPPM to keep community, local, non-commercial media on the radio here. It's phillycam.org slash radio. Hit the Donate Now button or give us a buzz at 215 Nine two three WPPM. That's 
888-646-9776 for those of you with rotary phones. We just heard Dancing in the Kitchen by the Harvard Disc Company. Uh, that was an anonymous artist there from 1901. Don Wilson, I think we've got time for one more disc before we have to split, and it's time for the Six Degrees with Gracie. And um, before I let you tell us what the last record is, I just want to say thank you for coming out today and sharing all these wonderfully rare records and your knowledge with us, and thanks for all the awesome work you've been doing for the uh, record-collecting community here. Thank you, David. It's been a real pleasure to be here. I can't wait to see on the forums on Facebook what uh, inaccuracies the experts could possibly (laughs) pick out of our interview. That'll be fun for the next month or so. All right. And for the last song, of course, we want to save one that's local. Uh, This one's made by Victor. For any of you that take Patco, when you look over to the Camden side, you can still see the dog in the window. Uh, This came from uh, that company, Victor, A Ragtime Skedaddle by Mr. George Schweinfest. (laughs) 